The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'd like to say a few more words about the practice. And to review a little bit for those of you who uh, came in later. So I'd like to start by kind of looking at the place of mindfulness, effort, and concentration in this practice, how they come together in this practice. Many of you will probably recognize these three aspects, effort, mindfulness, concentration, as the three qualities of the Noble Eightfold Path that come together to support concentration, the samadhi aspect, the cultivation of mind. So the mindfulness aspect is simply the recognition of what's happening in the moment. Just knowing what's happening while it's happening. And that just connecting, recognizing that you're aware and knowing what you are aware of. It's very, very simple, this quality of mindfulness. It's actually quite obvious and quite ordinary, uh, quite an ordinary quality of mind. It's not some uh, esoteric or special thing that we somehow have to find. It's actually part of our everyday, ordinary existence, this quality of mindfulness. We just don't normally think about highlighting it as something that's worth paying attention to, as as a quality that's actually worth cultivating. So the actual recognition of mindfulness itself, just the recognizing that you are aware and what you are aware of, supports the cultivation of this quality of mindfulness. It is said that The proximate cause for mindfulness is mindfulness. So it's fortunate that it arises for us spontaneously without our trying because that's how it begins. The effort in this practice, the intentionality, the movement towards cultivating wholesome states, abandoning unwholesome states, which is the standard definition of right effort, is primarily around a gentle, persistent, inclining the mind towards awareness itself. And this supports the cultivation of this very wholesome state of mindfulness, which through its power, the power of mindfulness, uh, supports the cultivation of other wholesome states and supports the letting go of unwholesome states. So the, the cultivation of mindfulness itself 
the recognition of what's happening while it's happening begins to point us in the direction of more and more moving towards the choices that support letting go of things that lead to suffering. Because the mindfulness itself reveals where we're suffering and reveals more intimately how we suffer. The way that we cling, the way that we push things away, being directly related to why we suffer. And the mindfulness reveals this. It reveals that when we cling, that we suffer. And so in the mindfulness, the mind begins to get trained that when I do this, I suffer. And naturally, very naturally, over time, over the time of the mindfulness meeting experience, the mind itself begins to learn what leads towards happiness and what leads towards suffering. And it naturally begins to let go of those things that move us towards suffering and to cultivate those things that lead us towards happiness. So in this practice, the cultivation of effort is primarily around the supporting of the cultivation of the quality of mindfulness. So simply reminding yourself to be aware. In a moment, I did this earlier, notice the sensation of your hands. Notice the sensations of your butt on the chair or bench or cushion. Notice the sensations in your mouth. How hard is it to do that? Awareness is actually pretty accessible if we simply open to it. Mindfulness is pretty accessible. For a split second, it's accessible. And then what typically happens is that we, immediately having become aware of something, we start thinking about it. Thinking about how it relates to me and what I'm going to do next and what I did last week and how I can accumulate this thing or get rid of it. So the practice that we're cultivating here is to just continue to remind ourselves, come back, come back to just this very simple quality of recognizing what's happening in the present moment. What's obvious about what's happening in the present moment? So it's a gentle persistent reminding. The very first instruction that Sayadaw Utejaniya gave to me was, in meditation, the only work we give ourselves is to remind ourselves to be aware. The only work that we give our mind is to remind ourselves to be aware. And so the, uh, that reminding can be pretty light, It might just be as simple as saying to oneself, already aware. It's a kind of a reminding to stay connected. Or, am I aware? Just to recognize. If you can ask yourself that question, you're probably aware. 
So just a gentle inclining the mind towards this quality of mindfulness. The effort is around the frequency of reminding. How frequently we remind ourselves to be aware. It's kind of like in a moment, there can kind of be a natural extent to which mindfulness will naturally hang around for us. The untrained mind doesn't stay mindful for very long. It immediately leaps onto something. It immediately leaps onto the thing it's recognized. With training, we begin to recognize that the, the mind more naturally wants to actually stay in that space of awareness. But again, it doesn't last very long. So a gentle, persistent reminding every second or two when we start our practice can just be as simple as using uh, the reminder aware or what am I aware of? It's in a very simple way, opening to what we are aware of. Another way to use this, and Saito Utejaniya would not like this instruction, but uh, is to um, simply uh, acknowledge or say to yourself what you are aware of every second or so. Pressure. Vibration as a way to both acknowledge that awareness and to um, uh, recognize what awareness is aware of. Not to point the mind at anything, but to acknowledge what is already known. But it can be just as simple as already aware. And over time, it can let, you can let go of the words altogether and just, you know, mm. <laughs> and just inclining the mind towards that connection. I, I, I think of this kind of encouragement towards mindfulness as almost being like, I have this analogy about being on a scooter. So, you know, if you're on a scooter one of those you know, two-wheeled things that you, you, know, you glide on and you have to push your foot to get the thing going. Initially, when the thing is at a, at a dead stop, you've got to put your foot down and push a few times. But at some point, that gliding gets going. The, the, the um, scooter gets going. And you can ride on it for a while. So there's a momentum to that. And then you just have to, every now and then, put your foot down and tap to keep it going. It kind of functions the same way with our mindfulness. That initially we have to remind ourselves a lot. And then at some point we begin to see that there's a natural extending of that mindfulness to just be there. That we don't have to work very hard. Just, here I am. The mind is aware. It knows what's happening. So that the art of the effort in this practice is learning how frequently you need to remind yourself to be aware. As the practice gets going, it, it, it needs to be less frequent. Just every few seconds, or it could, even, it could even be longer, that you just hang out in that space of awareness and notice what you are aware of. 
from time to time prompting. And that, as I say, that art of awareness has to do with knowing, having a sense of how long that natural awareness is extending for. The concentration aspect of this practice is directly connected to this, the two aspects of mindfulness and effort. The concentration has to do with the continuity of the awareness, the continuity of the mindfulness. As we get more uh, in a flow of that natural awareness and we um, are more continuous and there's not so many gaps where we forget about the mindfulness where the mind wanders off into thought or starts um, reflecting on the past or the future or even on the present moment. When we are tracking our experience moment to moment, there's a concentration that comes with that. And the concentration brings with it a lot of settling, ease, peacefulness in the mind. And it is the concentration and mindfulness together that give this practice, any awareness practice, concentration and mindfulness together, give awareness practices their penetrating power to be able to see things as they are, be able to touch into the truths of impermanence that there's nothing that is out there that can be a lasting source of happiness for us because everything is impermanent so nothing can last and be a lasting source of happiness and that there's no one here particularly doing things thinking things it's a process a mind-body process that is unfolding there is a mind-body process unfolding but no one particularly running the show So these two qualities of, or these three qualities, effort, mindfulness, and concentration, with the effort and mindfulness coming together to produce the concentration and the mindfulness and concentration becoming like that very sharp knife to be able to really see experience as it is. So... We can come into the present moment and be present and be aware and yet still not go very far or go much of anywhere with our recognition, our um, understanding of the wisdom that this practice can really touch into. These truths of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not-self. And Utejaniya points to this quality of the mind, how the mind is observing experience as being a key towards cultivating this wisdom. That if we simply notice what we're aware of all day long, well, that's, that's nice, but... Um, it's not pointing to 
where we, or we can be aware all day long with a kind of an attitude around getting something or getting rid of something. So the, the, the pointer back to the attitude of mind and whether there's any clinging or holding or pushing away is how this practice moves towards freedom. As Sayadaw Utejaniya says, he's titled the book this, Awareness Alone is Not Enough. We need to recognize the attitude or the quality of mind that is aware. And often this quality of mind, this like filter almost of what we're um, seeing, of, of, uh, that we are looking through, is not seen to us. It's kind of like the air we breathe. It's, it's just we have these ways of seeing our world and we don't recognize them. And so we need to, through this practice of continually turning back to look at what's the attitude, what's my relationship, how do I feel about what's happening, to begin to uncover these hidden agendas, these hidden views, these hidden filters on our experience. So Saito Utejaniya suggests using this practice of checking the attitude, actually asking the question, what's my attitude? When we ask this question, as I said earlier, it's not to think about, to try to figure out what the attitude might be. We can do that. I mean, we... we, um, you know, knowing our situation. Oh, I'm reacting this way. I'm feeling angry right now. And yeah, I'm feeling angry with my boyfriend right now. But I really know that that's about my father and, you know, the, the relationship I had with my father. We can do that. We can think about why we might be feeling the way we are. This is not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting that you ask the question and then open up to what is there. Just as I said earlier, ring a doorbell and see what answers the door. So ask that question and see whether there's something that's obvious to you in terms of a relationship to the experience. There are roughly four flavors of attitude that you might notice when you ask this question. There's the flavor of wanting something, of wanting to keep something, of um, wanting something to happen. There's the attitude, that's the basic, the basic uh, tendency towards greed in the mind. There's the attitude of wanting to get rid of something, wanting something to stop happening. The basic tendency of aversion in the mind, of not liking. There's um, an attitude that comes out of delusion. Confusion. Not connecting, not understanding what's happening. And Harder to see, but also aspects of delusion, are when uh, we are imputing permanence to things in the world, or we are imputing 
satisfactoriness to things or we're imputing this is me, mine, who I am. Those are aspects of delusion. So in the, in the experience, you might be checking in to what's my attitude and the feeling may pre- be predominantly like, well, it's my feeling. This is what I'm feeling, the delusion of self. It's mine. This is mine, the delusion of self. Or it might be confusion. What's happening? I don't know what's happening. Again, a manifestation of delusion. So those three that are founded in the three uh, basic unwholesome roots of suffering, the things that lead us towards suffering, the, the attitudes rooted in greed, attitudes rooted in aversion, attitudes rooted in delusion. The fourth attitude that you might come across is balance of mind. Basically, not particularly towards or against something. Just simply meeting it as it is. This is also an attitude, a way of being with our experience. And this is what Utejaniya calls wise attitude or right attitude. So this attitude of balance of mind is a way of being with experience where it doesn't particularly matter what's coming and going. There's a balance of mind and ease and equanimity around whatever is happening. So this is what Utejaniya calls right attitude. And what we, we learn about right attitude, we learn about this balance of mind through exploring wrong attitude, through getting to know the ways that we are not balanced. So this is, this is this, all of us have this, ten, these tendencies towards greed, aversion, and delusion. It's nothing to take personally. It's just the way we all are. But what we need to under- do is to begin to understand those tendencies. So in the uh, looking at the attitude, if you discover an attitude based in greed, aversion, or delusion, that's wrong attitude as long as you're not noticing it and as long as you're seeing, looking through that filter. As soon as you open to just recognizing that attitude, as soon as it becomes part of what you are noticing, then it's part of the field of awareness and it's being observed as opposed to guiding the observing. So when we can really clearly let those attitudes come into our awareness, and we're no longer looking through them, we're looking at them. We've moved back towards, in the direction of, right attitude. We can be balanced around observing anger. We can also be reactive around observing anger. So this process like, begins to unfold the layers or uncover layers after layers of reactivity that we might have to our experience.
So checking the attitude can get to be a little bit of a project at times. We can, we can you know, sit there and go, oh, what's my attitude, what's my attitude, what's my attitude? That's not so helpful. Um, it's, it's helpful to, to check occasionally from time to time. Basically stay with the practice of noticing awareness, what you're aware of, and monitoring how much effort you need to make to keep that awareness going. That's the main, uh, the, the main part of the, the time in our practice. From time to time, check your attitude. If things are basically going, you know, pretty well, you know, check your attitude every few minutes, maybe five minutes or so. Just check in. Just check in from time to time. Check in. There's some particularly good times to check your attitude. If you're noticing any kind of a struggle or conflict, a feeling of difficulty, of suffering, that's a good time to check your attitude. <clears throat> See what's kind of underlying that struggle. When you return from being lost in thought, when you wake up after you have kind of checked into what's happening, you know, check in. When you wake up from being lost in thought, Notice, can you connect with just what's happening? And also check your attitude. It can sometimes be surprising when we get lost in thought. I mean, sometimes it's clear, you know, we get lost in a thought about arguing with a friend, and we come back and our attitude is kind of imbued with this feeling of frustration and and annoyance. And if we don't recognize that, that there can be carryover from the thought into how we're then seeing our experience. So that's helpful to check into our attitude when we return from being lost in thought. And sometimes we can find to our surprise that when we come back from being lost in thought, actually our mind is actually relaxed and balanced. That sometimes the movement of being lost in thought isn't one of getting caught in anything in particular. It was more just one of drifting. And in the recognizing the drifting happening, the mind can actually settle and relax almost more deeply. So the mind can be very balanced when it comes back from wandering if we're not judging ourselves for the fact that we got lost. So noticing uh, the attitude of times of tension or struggle, noticing the attitude when you come back from being lost in thought. And another time that's really good to check into the attitude is if you feel like the sitting is going really, really well. If it just seems like this is the best sitting I've had in, in weeks, check the attitude. And the last piece that I'll expand on a little bit um, is many people, most, m- many people here have been practicing for quite a long time. And um, we all have habits of practice. Ways that our mind is comfortable paying attention. Things that we kind of naturally do when we sit down to meditate. And uh, you'll find in engaging in this practice of just noticing 
awareness and what you're aware of, you'll find your mind kind of slips back into its meditation habits. It starts paying attention to the breath. Or it um, connects with full body vibration. Or it moves to hearing. Because that's been your pattern when you sit down in meditation. So there's a couple of ways to approach this. I'm going to give you a way, a way that Steve Armstrong suggests and then a way that I find helpful myself. So what Steve Armstrong says that he, is, he, he did originally, at least, when he started um, noticing these practice habits arising was that whenever he found himself doing anything kind of like technique-like, you know, paying attention to something in particular, um, when he recognized that happening, he, he kind of just allowed that to relax. He, he did a conscious relax the body, relax the mind, and then open again to just what's, what's happening, just noticing the kind of natural awareness of that when the mind relaxes, there is that natural awareness. And you'll probably have pretty good access to that if you've been doing your technique because the mindfulness may be kind of continuous. So relax the technique and see what space you end up in that's just a natural awareness. What is the mind naturally doing in that moment? So that's one approach, and it's very helpful. Another approach that I found helpful is um, when I recognize that I'm doing something habitual like that, like attending to body sensations, I move to how does my mind uh, feel about this? Or so what's my attitude about this? So to watch the mind, essentially to turn to watch the mind that is doing the habit For myself, uh, in doing this, you know, I, I really, I, when I first started at, with, at the monastery with Utejaniya, as I mentioned earlier, I found that when I just relaxed, the mind kind of automatically went to body sensations. Just automatically. It's like that was my habit. That was my meditation habit, to go to body sensations. And the way I worked with this is I didn't try to not do that. In fact, when I, I got into my meditation posture, I just let my mind do what it did. I just let it do its thing. And at some point when I recognized that it was kind of doing the awareness of body sensation, I checked into, and what's the mind, how does the mind feel? What's going on in the mind? And I actually often found that the mind was actually calm and happy. And that was a way into just what's happening breaking that habit of being pulled towards the body sensations. So check into, that's another way to work with these practice habits. So when you find yourself engaging in a, in a familiar pattern, and how does the mind feel while doing this? What's happening? So to begin to open up that field of investigation beyond the habit. So let's um, do another sitting. (coughs) 
So allowing your body to settle into your meditation posture. Allowing the body to relax. Encouraging that relaxation of body. A way I have found helpful in encouraging that relaxation of body is to simply, is to drop in the request through the use of thought. May the body relax. And not try to do the relaxation but to rather see how do the mind and body respond to that request. So may the body relax. May the body relax. May the interior of the body relax. May the mind relax. May the mind relax. May the body and mind relax. And from this place of relaxation Noticing whatever natural awareness is present and what that awareness is aware of. If you find it helpful It's fine to begin with some obvious physical sensation as a place to connect and begin to become familiar with the feeling of awareness. No need to hold tightly to that obvious physical experience. Stay connected with recognizing that you are aware and noticing what 
the attention is taking in. Hearing. Body vibration. Pressure. Coolness. Ease. Calm. Allow the awareness to recognize how the attention is moving. Follow the awareness. with a gentle, persistent reminding, what am I aware of? Or already aware? Or perhaps just this? as the momentum of mindfulness builds. You might find that awareness doesn't need quite so much prompting. Part of the art of the meditation is learning to recognize just how much effort is needed keeping the, the effort as light as it can, but staying connected. From time to time, Checking your attitude. Do you want something to happen? Do you want something to stop happening? Are you confused about what's happening? Is there a balance of mind? If when you check the attitude, there's nothing obvious, just let it go and continue with the gentle prompting, reminding yourself to be aware and to recognize what awareness is noticing.
If you recognize that awareness is returning after a period of being lost. Check in and see if tension has built up. Relax. Notice what you have become aware of in that spontaneous moment of remembering. And check your attitude. The mind naturally and automatically knows, feels, perceives. Those processes go on all the time, whether or not we are mindful of them. Can you wake up into what is already known, already being perceived, already being felt?
The main way that Saida Utejaniya teaches is through giving this initial kind of instruction at the beginning of a person's practice period and then meeting with people in groups regularly to have discussion about what you're noticing in the practice, any questions you have. And so that's what I'd like to do for the next half hour or so is to open it up for discussion, any questions, um, any reports, anything you've noticed in your experience. And we'll use the microphones for this. Yeah, forget. You said a bit ago that uh, Utajaniya wouldn't like it when you gave the instruction and sounded kind of like naming. Maybe labeling, yeah. Yes. <laughs> what would he not like about that? Um, well, I think that it's... it's um, it tends to be associated with a kind of practice that is more effortful, Um and you can get caught in the labeling, thinking is that that's the technique and that's what to do. Um, so it, I think it's more around how people typically end up relating to it as a practice. Because he does, he suggests using thought a lot. You know, he suggests using questions, using like you know, um, like you know, this is nature already aware, asking questions about what's happening. So he, he suggests using thought a lot, uh, but the, the kind of uh, use of labeling as a technique, I, he doesn't particularly like to have any one technique that you kind of get attached to. So I think that would be mostly why. So... Um it seems a little like choiceless awareness practice mm-hmm. uh, with the kind of the, the caveat that uh, you're also bringing into what's my attitude in relationship to what's arising. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess it seems like all sort of the practice or the, like the uh, you know, like what is awareness, Okay. And then, so noticing what's arising and then what's my relationship to it. And then kind of keep expanding the field of awareness. Is, is What do you mean by expanding the field? Well, including whatever you're aware of, whatever arises. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. okay, so aversion. For instance, I sit with, like most of us, a lot of physical unpleasant sensation. And so when I'm aware of that, my almost immediate response is, What's, do, I, do I have a ver- is there a version there? Mm-hmm. You know, which often is the case. But then sometimes I notice, no, kind of like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just whatever that is. So I think what I was trying to get at is like, it's challenging to, I think it's more challenging, or what, do, what is your input on, noticing balance of mind because i think for me that's kind of a challenging thing my my practice is more or less about 
liking, not liking, or neutral. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so bringing in, well, what do you mean balance of mind? You know, what is that? You know what I mean? Uh, so so um, it's not that we're trying to bring in balance of mind. It's that we're trying to recognize the imbalance and notice if there is no particular movement towards or against, which is this balance. And you, it might manifest as an experience of calm, of ease, of peacefulness, of... Um, one friend of mine says, you know, there's a difference. There's a difference between a sense of, of um, indifference... You know, oh, I don't care about what's happening. That's got a little bit of aversion to it. Um, and she says, you know, when my mind is really balanced, it says something like, I don't mind this. So it's not, I don't care. But it's, so it's, it's, it's just that, that place where the mind is just recognizing what's happening without that movement towards or against. And you're right, the way we typically notice things is that we notice the towards and against. And um, it's through that recognizing that we begin to let go of that and come into more and more balance. But typically, even in what we call balance, there is some towards and away. It's just that it may not be quite so obvious initially. That so, so, you know, if you come in and you check what's my attitude and you don't particularly notice any towards or away, that's fine. You know, just hang out there and check again in five minutes and see what you're, what you're then noticing. So, in a sense, the equanimity, okay, that might arise. And then what you were suggesting before as well is, okay, this is, obviously, this is the best sit I've ever had. That's a little bit kind of grasping nature. That's not so much equanimity. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. It's more or less... um, noticing what's happening and then without pushing or pulling just getting to a place of like a, a an integration a natural integration and acceptance say what you mean by integration well like i was experiencing sleepiness i noticed that i noticed that and usually I never open my eyes when I'm meditating, but I gave myself that permission to do that. And that kind of made an adjustment for myself. Mm-hmm. So that, that felt like that was a, a good direction for me. Yes. And just the awareness of whatever was going on when the mind drifted, just the, the, the willingness to... Just stay with it in a non-forceful way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, felt felt right. Felt good. So, by integration, you mean the um, willingness of the mind to meet whatever 
yeah. is happening. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not and to, trying to, to, to not even resist, for instance, sleepiness. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, to not let yourself sink into it to the place where you would lose mindfulness. Right. That's the balance for us yeah, around a, this it's, practice. So watchfulness. Yeah. The watchfulness. Yeah. And, and what happened for you when you opened your eyes? I became more alert and I kept an awareness and the sleepiness almost instantaneously left. Mm-hmm. And you it, didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to yeah. do anything because I noticed myself. I began to slump and it wasn't something that I wanted to continue to do. But it wasn't like there was no judgment in it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was just... Self-adjust through awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like new for me to, you know, just give myself the permission to do that because, oh, I'm not a good yogi if I open my eyes. <laughs> you know, that sort of a thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, a less of a tightness for me yeah. and, and a uh-huh. more of an opening. Uh-huh. That's the kind of quality that seems to come, um, particularly for me around this practice, of opening to just what is here um, you know I'll feel I'll feel the mind kind of something arises and I feel a little tightening around it it's like that feeling's not supposed to be happening oh okay so a little aversion is going on and and just kind of allowing the the that thing which has already come to be, that little tightening, that little movement of whatever it is that there's tightening around, all of that is just what has come to be. And just allowing that to unfold in its own way is, is quite a, a revelation, that opening to, instead of trying to direct or um, fix or change. Now, you did do a little adjustment around the opening of the eyes, and that's fine. And it it might have actually almost happened spontaneously in a way. You know, it's like there was the recognition this would be helpful and that you followed through on that. You know, and all this, as I see it, you know, to really have a kind, gentle, relaxed awareness about it because there's so much sharpness that can come in, judgment, force, a pushing away. And uh, it's so much easier to see it when we're quiet and we're sitting sometimes than when we're active. Yes. And we can carry this style of just recognizing moment to moment, am I aware? What am I aware of? We can carry this into our daily lives pretty easily. This is one of the great um, benefits of this particular practice, I feel, that... um, you know, that the techniques that are typically taught for sitting meditation don't necessarily carry into our day-to-day activities. And this one does. So it is harder, and there's more going on that obscures that kind of continuity. So the continuity of the awareness producing that place of settledness, of stableness, of concentration, where you can see the more subtle movements of mind. So it is harder, but it is... We can carry it into our our daily lives, and then in doing that, also, uh, when we sit down to meditate, we find we're already more stable and and more more here, 
just because we've been engaging in that uh, through our day. Thank you, Gary. And then Nena. Um, in listening to the instructions, and I, I missed the morning because I read off the flyer. Um, yeah, I understand it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for disturbing when no I No problem. Came yeah. Um, I really liked what you just said about this can be more easily brought to our lives than some other forms of sitting meditation. Um, and I wanted to know if I'm understanding the basic properly. And what I'm understanding is there's the question or the reminder, aware or already aware, um, and seeing what what is the mind aware of. And then every so often, what's the attitude of that awareness? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Those are the basic instructions. It's really simple. And then the other piece, too, is relaxation. Uh-huh. Encouraging relaxation. Okay. But um, as I discovered on this last retreat that I was on with him in December, um, I, was, I kept getting, the, the mind kept falling asleep. And I went and reported this to him. And he said, are you still trying to relax? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, stop that. <laughs> so, so, you know, just, just notice whether you're relaxed or not. You know, if, just, if you notice there's tension, the mindfulness will release it. You know, you don't have to try to relax. So um, you, you may find as this practice goes on over the day or over time that you don't need to do the conscious relaxation so much. But it's a huge part of beginning to settle into the, into the practice. And, uh, I really like the, um, just the mentioning of the body parts and the relaxing part. And I, I felt quite relaxed to the point I fell asleep. Um, and... Um, but later on, um, what I noticed was that as I'm, I'm watching awareness in some ways, and I is it's as if I'm watching my mind, and that felt after a while of doing that, I just felt like this tension mm-hmm. happening, and so I just kind of just naturally came to the body and, and the breath as a, and kind of the body sensations as the breath mm-hmm. happens and mm-hmm. I found that it's just kind of like a release it's like oh okay yeah. uh-huh. um, so I wonder if you can help me with that because I felt like I was in my mind a lot yeah. and so I literally thought just like oh I just can't watch my mind one more moment uh-huh. Uh-huh. and um, so I wonder if you could help me with that or any comments about that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is a, a kind of a a common thing to happen for people that in the direction to notice the awareness or to notice the mind observing, there can be a doing of that, that we start doing that at, and we think that that's what we're supposed to be doing, to look at the mind. And actually what the instructions are is to just notice whether you're aware and then notice what is naturally there. Now, part of this... Um, 
points to the fact that you can be either aware of what the mind is doing and how the mind is observing, or you can be aware of what the mind is observing. And um, the instructions that Utejaniya gives around this are don't try to be aware of awareness. Don't try to be aware of the mind, except for, those, except for occasionally checking into the attitude, which points us back to the mind. And again, I, as I said, don't, you don't need to do that like really frequently, just occasionally checking in back to how is the mind observing experience so that it's not a, a continual kind of pressing on what's the mind doing, what's the mind doing, what's the mind doing. So occasionally checking in, but most of the time just noticing what awareness is naturally aware of. It, it can be aware of the awareness. Mostly for most people, initially, it's aware of things happening. It's aware of what we are aware of. It's aware of body sensations. It's aware of, of moods, emotions. It's aware of um, sound. It's, so it's got both physical and mental things that are coming up in awareness. And then there's the knowing of that. So, um, and there's the way that that observing is working. So you know, there's the thing that we're observing, and then there's the way that the mind is observing. And the, the initial practice or the, the way to work with this is to just recognize how is the mind observing. Is the mind observing the object, the thing, or is the mind knowing the awareness? So that we don't have to try to move back into the awareness. At some point there'll be a kind of a, a natural recognition of, oh, this is the observing of the awareness. And this is the observing of the object. So we don't have to try so much. So just recognize where the mind is most, what, what, how the mind is attending at this moment. With the occasional pointing back to the mind to open us to the possibility of learning how to recognize what the mind is doing around observing. And eventually learning how to see that observing itself. Utejaniya talks about this knowing of awareness or this observing of awareness. It's a subtle thing. It's not, it's not something that's you know, really that obvious to us. Um, it's m- almost more of an inference in a way in that, um, like he, su- he says, like you know, if we wear glasses, um, the whole way that we can see clearly is because the glasses are there. But mostly we're, we're not noticing the glasses. We're noticing that we're seeing things in the world. But we can kind of recognize, those of you who wear glasses might have an easier time with this analogy, kind of recognize through understanding what it's like when the glasses aren't there. The function of the glasses. We can kind of recognize what the glasses do, how they work. And it's kind of like that with the awareness. That over time of seeing objects and coming back and looking at how is the mind relating to those objects, we begin to understand that capacity of the mind to know. So it's really this checking the attitude is the pointer back to the mind, but we don't have to try to stay with that. 
You don't have to try to stay with just how, how the mind is observing. Just as you did, which was kind of just relax and say, okay, well, just what's, what's happening right now? Oh, body sensations are happening. That's fine. That's the practice. So um, any other questions on that, or is that clear enough? It, it might actually just be a state that I'm, I'm going through at, at the moment of, of feeling tension. I mean, I, I think I have um, had moments when I'm driving and I'm, I'm, I'm just have this wide awareness of what's happening. And it can be very light and it's almost joyful to just sort of notice things as I'm driving by. And so it does seem much more effortless. Yes. Uh-huh. And so... Uh, in this moment, it seems to be that I'm in a state of mind where um, it's 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 kind of it's more challenging. So, if that state of that kind of broad panoramic awareness is not naturally happening, don't try to do it. Mm-hmm. That will give you a headache. <laughs> so, um, how is the mind? I mean, we, we, get, we get these ideas as we practice of, okay, this kind of practice means that I'm supposed to have this wide panoramic awareness. And so we try to put our mind into that state to meditate, as opposed to just noticing what is the state the mind is already in. What is it already noticing? I mentioned this um, in the guided meditation, I think. Um, there are these functions of mind... You know, there's this, the, the, one of the ways the Buddha divides up our experience is through a teaching called the five aggregates, which is that there is the body, which is one of the aggregates. And aggregates is kind of a, a technical-sounding term, but basically, and the term aggregate is actually a pretty good translation, as uh, Sally Clough pointed out recently, that um, the term, um, the, the sankharas, or skandhas, it's the skandhas, or the khandas is the Pali term for um, the aggregates, basically is um, a term of stuff made of other stuff. So the body is a group of stuff made of stuff. (laughs) And so that's one of the groups. You think of it as a group. And then the other four aspects are mental uh, aspects. There's the aspect of Knowing, the consciousness, the recognition, the bare recognition of just, you know, things happening. So there's consciousness, there's feeling, that capacity of the mind to, or the process of the mind by which it understands pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And actually I've come to understand these aggregates not as the things These aggregates of mind aren't the things. It's not the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral itself. It's the mind's process of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. The knowing isn't the the, the knowing itself. It's the process of knowing. The perception, then that's the third aggregate of the mental areas. The process by which we recognize. The mind's capacity to recognize things. um, To perceive sound, hearing, train. just that recognizing aspect. And then there's this uh, process of uh, what's called mental formations, which is the arising of intention and the doing that arises out of it. Um, Most of the uh, aspects of of our mental existence fall into that category. 
the, um, all the moods, emotions, the thoughts, all of those come into this category of intentional mental activity. So these processes, these five aggregates, they're happening all the time. Whether or not we're mindful of them, they carry on. They do their thing. The body works, the perception works, the knowing works. We walk across the street, we see a form approaching and we see it's a, a getting larger, we notice it's a car, we recognize it as a car, the perception works. We don't have to be mindful in order for these five aggregates to be working. They are working already. And what our practice is in this practice is to see if we can wake up the mindfulness comes into being as a mental formation. Mindfulness is one of the mental formations. It comes into being in the midst of these aggregates already unfolding. Something's already being known through consciousness. Something's already being perceived through perception. Something's already being felt through feeling. And the awareness, can the awareness just kind of come into that process that's already happening and recognize what is already happening, as opposed to trying to arrange those states, the perception, the feeling, the consciousness, and the mental formations, into some pattern which then you try to be aware of. So if you are trying to put yourself into a space of panoramic awareness, that's a mental formation that you're trying to construct, as opposed to just recognizing How is the mind already working? The mind is already knowing, feeling, perceiving, and doing some kind of intentional activity without your being aware of it. So the the, the turn in this practice is just the lightest touch of mindfulness to recognize what's already going on. So you're driving down the street and you notice movement uh, and your, your eye is drawn to the movement. You know, keeping a panoramic a- awareness may not be the thing to do there. You, you may need to notice there's a, a ball rolling, rolling into the road and maybe a child following it. You know, so that there, there's a, a way in which the, the awareness can just pick up on what's already happening. And not, we don't need to try to uh, create a state in which to meditate. Now, this is very different than many forms of meditation practice. In many forms of meditation practice, we are creating a state in which to meditate. So, it, you know, it, I think this, this practice has a, is, is a great support for really loosening around some of the grasping that we do around creating those states. But there is also great benefit to the other techniques. I have to say that. I don't want to just put this out as the be-all and end-all. It's a great practice. And these other practices, too, of actually cultivating states of concentration are also very, very helpful. And I found myself that a blending of these, this, this, the, the freeing up that's happened through this practice for me has been hugely supportive in terms of now being able to go back and use those techniques skillfully as opposed to trying so hard, manipulating and clinging to put myself into a state. So is there anything, anything more? Um, 
No, I think I'm working over time here. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we tend to. You're not alone. I, I will tell you that. You are not alone. Oh, okay. Anyone, anyone else? Uh, Kumi? I was noticing when I was walking. If you hold it like this, it tends to. As uh, I was walking, that I generally function in the way that um, I just wait until thoughts and different things come to me. And I thought, that's the way I function. You know, and I saw the rest of my life kind of waiting. So you noticed a quality of waiting in the mind? Mm -hmm. There was this like... Waiting for... Noticing, waiting for... You know, instead of... I don't know what instead Uh of Uh I questioned. Uh And... So you 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 can when you say this, it sounds like you connected to this as a as a kind of a pattern in your life as well. Yes. That that you're sitting, you know kind of sitting there waiting. Okay, well, waiting for something to happen, waiting for somebody to come find me, waiting for. <laughs> yes. So noticing the the waiting, so that you've now you've kind of uncovered a pattern for yourself. So the practice is really to get to know the waiting. What is the feeling of the waiting and what's the attitude? So when you uncover a pattern, that's, that's another good time to check attitude. If you uncover a pattern that's kind of repetitive for yourself, check into what's my relationship to this? How do I feel about this? Or perhaps even what purpose is this serving? Um, you know, with habits and patterns, there's usually some belief operating underneath that, you know, we, uh, we think we have to do that for some reason. And th- that kind of belief can be obscured for us. So again, not to try to find it, but to just, you know, you could ask these questions of yourself. Putting these questions into the meditation to open your mind to the possibility that, that you might be able to recognize or know something. Not to think about it. I, re- I have to keep saying that because when we do introduce thoughts into our meditation, we can tend to leap onto them and really start thinking. So I use thoughts really sparingly in this practice. But in, the, in a case like this, it might be interesting to explore what purpose is this serving. Yeah, but so uh, it's a beautiful day, and uh, my mindfulness, my mind was wide open. Actually, I just opened to whatever sensory impression arrived, and uh, it was like uh, an excited kid. Actually, it was like wow, so green, so bright, so this, so that. And uh, that went on for a little while, and then I noticed that I was getting overwhelmed by all of the mind-excited uh, 
input. My mind was just running wild, commenting on how pleasant this was. And I decided that I would tone it down and just try to go to bare attention with respect to what was going on. And uh, that became very powerful, actually, because I felt more intensely what was happening mm -hmm. without the mind's commentary. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Now, my question is, how does that intersect with attitude? Well, so what, what I heard was happening for you was that um, you were in that state of open awareness and noticing all kinds of things and noticing, in fact, there were thoughts, excited thoughts, but didn't particularly notice the excitement, perhaps, that the attitude through which you were looking was a little greedy, a little bit excited, which will tend to stimulate and overwhelm. So um, in that recognizing that there was a little bit of suffering going on, checking the attitude, oh, excitement, wanting is happening, excitement is happening. What is excitement? What is this, you know, bringing that excitement into the field of awareness might have had the same effect as recognize. I mean, in some, to some extent, you recognized the excitement and recognized it wasn't helpful, but you didn't really become mindful of it. Instead, you moved to, okay, stop the commentary, just see if I can connect with the seeing, the hearing, the movement in a, in a more bare way. Um, so I, what you did was fine. And it, it also, you could have probably just checked in with your attitude and taken in the excitement mindfully. So what was happening was, again, you were kind of, you know, the, the colored lens, the flavor of excitement was how you were observing, which will stir up. And if you can take that colored lens off and put it in the field of what is being seen, then there's no longer the excited mind kind of driving things and stimulating things. And that excitement will tend to dissipate when it's no longer being kind of fed and pushed on. Okay. All right. I have to practice more. <laughs> <laughs> and as I said, what you did was fine. <laughs> well, I was just trying to relate it to the, you know, the attitude teaching to yes. see where, uh -huh. you know, where I could use attitude more constructively uh -huh. in this, uh -huh. yeah. basically. Yeah. So um, it's about 12.15, so I'd like to break for lunch.